from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome to Straight Talk, a lively discussion on tough issues impacting our lives. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio. Here's your host, Gene Wells. Well, welcome to Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. It gives you a dose of news from the diocese and around the world, plus commentary on things that that um, impact our lives. And today is a little bit different. It's not so much um, a negative impact on our lives, but a positive impact on our lives. It is time for Straight Talk. You've got questions. Hopefully we have some answers for you. I am so blessed and so grateful for Mercy One to sponsor our studio here at Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, they have been um, so generous in support of us, and um, I, I love the Mercy One folks. So on today's show, I have a question for you. Are there saints among us? You know, we may by faith say absolutely, and if, but if I were to ask you if you've ever known a saint you might hem and haw a little bit and then say, well, I saw Pope John Paul II when he was in Des Moines, or um, I've read everything that Mother Teresa has written, yet how many of us ever played baseball with a saint or did chores with a saint? Well, today we will be well acquainted with the first American martyr and the first U.S.-born priest to be beatified, Blessed Stanley Rother. Now, to put those first into perspective, there are just three U.S.-born saints and five U.S.-born individuals who have been beatified. So how are we going to get to know Blessed Stanley Rother? I have his first cousins with us today, Laura Rother Westmeyer, um, who lives in Iowa City. So there is this Iowa connection and then his other cousin, Father Don Wolf. So we're going to get to know both of them and what it's like growing up with a saint among us. Um, you know, our lives are a choice. And I, in every moment of our lives, we can decide if we will do what is right and true and good or if we'll maybe cut corners, you know, become a little self-centered in what our decisions are about or maybe just give up when things get too tough. But in learning about Blessed Stanley Rother, he sounds like a great neighbor and a friend who continued to make the right choices every moment of his ordinary life. So before we get into Blessed Stanley Rother, a couple of events coming up. Um, There is going to be an online Advent Advent retreat. It's the first three Thursdays in December, so December 3rd, 10th, and 17th. It's a one-hour reflection on the mystery of God incarnate, God becoming flesh, and entering into history and making it his own. As we profess daily in the Angelus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So not only will there be multiple voices, I get to be one of them during one of these sessions, um, sharing their faith journey in the midst of the storm. But the participants themselves, you, if you choose to participate, you'll get to break into small online groups through this Zoom. It's a kind of a cool feature. It's like you're in a small retreat setting, small group setting, and you can share your responses to everything that's going on. 
You can choose from the one-hour afternoon session or the one-hour evening session. So for more information, for details, or to register, just email John Gaffney at the diocese, his email, jgaffney, so J-G-A-F-F-N-E-Y at dmdiocese.org. Now also coming up, uh, the 2020 No Room at the Inn will be Friday, December 4th at 7 p.m. This virtual holiday reception to raise funds for homeless families will provide seasonal entertainment, beautiful settings. Um, there'll be a virtual tour of the Catholic Charities programs, and we'll learn how they address homelessness in our community. Uh, there is a beautiful, truly really gorgeous, hand-carved nativity set to be raffled off. So you need to purchase your tickets before November 30th, which is just coming up, um, and you'll be included in the drawing, which will happen the night of No Room at the Inn. For complete get the details, you can go online to catholiccharitiesdm.org, so catholiccharitiesdm.org, and then click on Events. Um, the Iowa Catholic Radio Dinner in December has been postponed, like so many other things, because of a uh, out of a sense of prudence, really, to care for those around us. Um, even though we do love to get together with our friends and our listeners and our supporters, we also care enough about you to not risk your health during these challenging times. But you can stay connected to with, a, with us anytime and anywhere. You can listen to positive, inspiring music through the Iowa Catholic Radio app. It's free. Or online at the iowacatholicradio.com and listen to music 24-7. It's beautiful. Some news. Uh, last week I reported on that vaccine being developed by Moderna and Pfizer as being developed without DNA fetal tissue. Now this issue was clouded this week as some reports that the vaccine had indeed been developed using tissue from aborted fetuses. Early on in a process, um, yes, they did use those important fetuses, but the actual vaccine does not. Um, so um, I want to make sure that you understood the differences. It's really quite fascinating how it was developed. Um, so, you know, if you feel comfortable in getting the vaccine once it's available, know that Moderna and Pfizer do not use the DNA fetal tissue in the actual vaccine. Now, this past Friday, this is good news, uh, a three-judge Circuit Court of Appeals, Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, ruled two to one that a part, just a part, of Tennessee's abortion law can go into effect. Uh, it's the reason ban that bars discrimination um, against abortion or uh, with abortions. So the law banned doctors from performing abortions if they knew the mother was seeking the abortion because of sex, because of the race of the baby, or because of a Down syndrome diagnosis of the baby. So the reason why ban, um, it's Section 217 of this Tennessee law, um, was uh, prohibited. You cannot have an abortion if that is one of your reasons. A coalition of 18 states filed a brief at the court supporting Tennessee's law. Sadly, Iowa was not one of those states. Hey, we're going to take our first break, and afterwards we're going to be joined by Laura 
Rother Westermeyer. She is a cousin, first cousin of Blessed Stanley Rother, as well as another cousin, Father Don Wolf. We're going to talk about saints in our lifetime. It's time for Straight Talk right now on Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is... And I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessima International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessima International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit and you benefit with 65% Iowa tax credits. Online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Welcome back to Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. Sorry, I had a little bit of feedback there, folks. Um, It is time for Straight Talk, and I just love our topic today and our guests, Laura Rother-Westmeyer and Father Don Wolf. And welcome, both of you, to Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh 
Oh, we've got a little technical glitch. My apologies. You know, technology is delightful. Um, but we're going to find out about Blessed Stanley Rother from his first cousins, which I think is very cool. Um, you know, I had a chance to go to the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, their website, and there's a lot of information about uh, Blessed Stanley Rother, Father Stanley, or Stan, I suppose his cousins called him when he was growing up. Um, we're going to learn from them about um, growing up with Stanley Rother and um, how exciting it was that he he was he discerned the priesthood while he was still in um, still in high school, which I think is um, fascinating. And joining us first is uh, Laura Laura Rother Westermeyer. Uh, Laura, good morning. Good morning. I am so excited. I was reading all about your cousin. And so I have a question. I mean, like, did you grow up with him or did, or was he far enough away that you didn't actually get to play with him? Yeah. So he was my dad's first cousin. So I guess he would oh, be my first dad's cousin. first cousin. Remote. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's quite a bit older than I was, but definitely grew up always knowing about Father Stan and his mission and his love for the country of Guatemala. Uh, and cool. so... Uh, Yes, knew of, knew him, you know, knew him in just his passion. So the family, he was a very important part of our family, but he wasn't around a lot because he was always in Guatemala. Um, yeah. And actually, my sister's wedding was the weekend that he was killed. And so I remember oh, that very uh, succinctly because the wedding, it just kind of put a downer on the entire, you know, joyous celebration. So that was mm -hmm. very sad. Uh, many of the relatives weren't able to come because they were, you know, just still trying to. So with the fact that their son, their cousin, you know, has been killed in Guatemala. Right. So that's, yeah. that's also a very vivid memory. Yeah. But Father Wolf, um, Father is John, with us now. On, so like Father John, Father oh, are good. you a first cousin or are you a second cousin once removed by the third order of the Knights of Columbus? Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I am just like Laura. I'm a second cousin. Okay. So our grandfathers were, our grandfather and Stan's grandfather were brothers. So in reading about him a little bit, I mean, he was, he grew up on a farm. He did chores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just so, like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Milked cows and probably walked beans and detasseled corn or all of those good things. All those what things, yeah. Yeah. What do you remember of your, of your, um, your parents talking about, I mean, did they call him Stan, Stanley? I mean, I think the idea of having a cousin, even if it's a second cousin, that is now uh, hopefully on his way to sainthood, what, I mean, the stories have to be amazing. Well, well it, you know, uh, Laura and I come from a, a really, really, really big family, and uh, the uh, and so growing up around someone like, like Father Stan wasn't, um, you know, um, all that remarkable in that, you know, he was just another cousin. So when he came back from Guatemala <laughs> or when he was around, I mean, I mean, it was, it was notable because he was a priest, but, but, you know, nobody, you know, pointed to him and said, oh my gosh, you know, there's the guy born with a halo. I mean, 
he was just one of the rest of the cousins. And so now that all this has happened, and you know the 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 content of his life and is something that we understand a lot more, and something that is uh, you know so remarkable, you know it's 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 quite notable. But at the time, you know, it it was just one more of the cousins who did the things that he did, and you know in. In my family, uh, there was another cousin on my father's side of the family who was ordained in the same class as Stan. And so, you know, having priests in the family was, was you know, notable but not unique. And Stan was certainly not unique in my family as far as being ordained and, and you know, being out doing the things that he was doing. So how many priests are there in your family? Well, uh, you know, I had a distant cousin on my father's side who was a Marino missioner in China, and uh, and then this, uh, uh, what he would have been, a se- he was a second cousin uh, on my father's side, and then Stan, and then, you know, Stan's sister is a sister, had a great aunt who was a Mercy sister. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's it's more a function of the size of my family than it is, you know, like a special in- uh, focus <laughs> on vocations. We're just, you know, we're large enough that we have everybody, including folks in prison, so, you know. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, so it's not like, oh, it's the one guy. The right. one unusual, the weird guy that right. went to that's right. Yeah. Well, that you know, and Stan's twenty years older than I, so you know mm-hmm. his his decisions and and you know the course of his life was, uh, you know, he was he was very much you know, an entire generation older than I. So mm-hmm. that also put him at some distance from you know as I was thinking about my own life. So, well, what was it, Laura? Let's start with you. What was it that is in your family DNA that would bring about? you know, such a devotion in the church. I mean, you know, there's the devotion to the church, there's the religious vocation, you know, there's something in the in the DNA, practically, of, of all of these families, all of these, you know, the patriarchs and matriarchs of your family that have led so many of you to have such a deep devotion of your faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't think of any better role models than my uh, father and his siblings. They were... Mm-hmm. Um, very hardworking, um, you know, all grew up in Okarchi, Oklahoma, uh, the same place where Father Stan grew up, and they grew up around their families, so, and, and my father and his siblings had 99 first cousins, so that's to talk oh. about the size of the, yes, and um, so they are very large devoted. Family. I'm thinking uh, family. 20, 30, yeah. yeah, no, 99, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and it's interesting, Okarchi is a little bit of a resemblance of Carroll, Iowa. A lot of people from Iowa came down to Oklahoma for the land run. So we have the Muggenbergs and the Wittrocks. So it's a, it's kind of a, a similar, uh, I guess, uh, community in that respect. But very hardworking, very uh, selfless. My aunt, mm-hmm. my dad, uh, do anything to help their neighbor. Uh, so I think it was just a, a very fortunate way to grow up. Uh, in the sense that it was it was a it was a small community, everybody helped one another, and it was really about you know if you had more, then you helped those who had less. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think that's a lot of just what your faith is all about, and definitely you know Father Stan, that was his you know I, I can farm, I'm I'm capable, and I think too the other the other thing, and I think Father Don would agree, we are some of the most independent individuals because we've been taught so much, we've we've learned to take care of ourselves, we. We don't see a problem as something that somebody else needs to fix. We fix our own problems. We take care of our, our um, of our challenges, and so I think that teaches you to be very independent. Um, and then, you know, Father Stan was able well, to take that independence giving. off with him. You know, the, yes. the service of others as opposed to what's in it for me. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's definitely throughout my family, I think. Um, my dad, his sister is very, yeah, very giving, wonderful mm-hmm. people. So, Papa Don, you know, as, as a grandma now and, and you know, the, the people listening, you know, what is it that was in your family and so so many of your family that drew them to religious life? You know, if I want uh, my grandchildren to look at religious life, what can I be doing right now that helps them see the joy in that life? You know, that's that's a really good question. I'm not sure I know. I think I used to know maybe 30 years ago, but I've been a priest mm-hmm. now 40 years, and the, the longer <laughs> I'm a priest, I think the less I know the reason why I became one. In, mm-hmm. uh, because it's so much integrated into you know the fabric of my life now, it's hard to imagine not having made this decision. But mm-hmm. certainly as I was in the process of making this decision, the, the most important part for me was the opportunity to to experience the life of faith as my own. When I went off to college that first weekend, I, for the very first time in my life, I made a decision about what I was going to do with regard to the practice of the faith. I'd never had that before in, mm. in my life. So, do I go to Mass know, I, or not go to Mass? Yeah, yeah. And right? so, Mom's not here to say. Well, yeah, yeah, and, you know, it was that, that moment where, you know, and I felt, I felt absolutely empowered at that moment. You know, that mm. here I am making this decision. This is my decision. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, the the experience of that, that transfer from, you know, the experience of my and the practice of my parents' faith to the practice of my faith, whether that happens in college or whether that happens in high school, you know, for me, it was, I mean, it was that very moment. And, and I, I think that was one of the most important things that ever happened to me. I wasn't even quite 18 yet. I was in college. I was away from home. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I was there to do something that was mine. And, you know, it was just absolutely empowering. Now, my brother who went to college two years later, it was exactly the opposite. You know, <laughs> he was empowered by making the decision not to do not that. Not to yeah. And it's just, you know, so, so, you know, you know, you know, what, what, what happened, you know, for him, what the, you know, the, the constituency of that decision for me was, you know, a different valence that for him, than for him. So, I mean, I don't know how to make that happen, but for me, that's what happened. And I, mm-hmm. and when it comes to, you know, the opportunity to experience the life of, of, you know, responding to a, a call to, you know, a vocation to priesthood or religious life. For me, it was just absolutely empowering to think that, that this, this could be something that happened for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that I had enough sense, which is the greatest grace of all, to know that if I didn't respond to this, you know, it wasn't like I was going to go to hell. I would just regret it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Your brother so, isn't the one that went to prison, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Those are cousins. Cousins. Oh, cousin. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, with so many priests and religious, did you ever talk as a family about, you know, what it's like in seminary, the discernment process? Am I in? Am I out? Do I want to stay? Yeah. Should I go, get married? I mean, did you guys have a, you know, I mean, if if Father Stan was around sometimes at Christmas while you were whatever when you, yeah. while you were in seminary, no. What? We we what never like did to have a blessed give you advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean now all different, but there was that was certainly never a part of the conversation. I knew hmm. Chris, you know my mother got sick early and died early, and so you know oh, we didn't. So there sorry. were a lot of conversations that never took place, 
And but there was never a time when we were sitting down saying, "Gosh, wouldn't it be great if one of my sons became a priest?" Or have you ever mm-hmm. thought about this or any of those things? I, you know, that when, when I thought about this, I was two years in college and had never imagined it before in my life until I did. So it was not part of my experience at home. Well, and in reading about um, Stan, I feel like I'm almost sinning by calling him by his first name. Uh, but he's in this early stage. He's in high school and discerning yeah. priesthood. Well, and, and completely by himself. I mean, I talked with Marita, his sister, who said he never spoke to anyone that I was aware of until the day he announced he was going to do this when he was, you know, his senior year in high, toward the end of his mm-hmm. senior year in high school. So, you know, uh, you know, again, Okarchi was a hotbed of vocations through the forties and fifties, and and having a this young high school student from Okarchi announce that he wanted to go to the seminary was certainly, you know, not not jaw dropping in that context. Right. And his sister, who was a year younger than he, opts to go off to the convent the same year. But uh, hmm. but according to her, she he never said anything to anyone, never had adverted to it, never in his life had mentioned it until he just said, this is what I'm going to do. Well, I, I would think that would be, you know, a little scary, even though everybody and their brother seemed to be doing it in your hometown, sure, right? Sure, You know, but, it's but still he was the kind of guy who, this huge yeah, decision. Yeah, who kept his own counsel. Unlike many of the other Rothers who who seem to live out loud, Laura can testify to that. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, Laura was like, "Sure, I'll get on. I'll be on the radio, and I'll get my my cousin and Father Don to join me." <laughs> yeah. So, so was was uh, was Stanley a good student? I mean, I I think of seminaries being really tough coursework. Uh, yeah, Stanley was a terrible student. Oh, and, uh, okay, okay. Well, you know it. And again, uh, I I don't know if uh, uh, I, I know he had a he had a sort of block against the, the studies he had to do. You know, they had to study philosophy in Latin, and then later on we entered theology. Had to study theology in Latin, and that was that was a block for him. Now, again, that does not set him apart from the other students of his times. There were lots and lots and lots of guys who came out of really good high schools who struggled with Latin their entire time in the seminary. But you know, Okarchi High School was not. You know, like the hotbed of of of, uh, scholas- of scholarly work. So, you know, he he was at um, kind of behind the the curve when it came to that. But that was part of it. But uh, but he was yeah he was not a very good student. And if you listen, if you read through his letters and those kinds of things, he was certainly the kind of guy who put things off because he didn't like to do them. And <laughs> studying was one of those things he put off a lot. So he was he had bad study habits. He was a bad student and. His grades were not very good. Not so to say he wasn't he's smart. He's a regular guy. He was a perfectly regular guy that way. Mm-hmm. Hey, and, we uh, need to take our first break of our show. Uh, we're almost near the bottom of the hour. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what kind of priest was Father Stan. I mean, is he the kind of guy that said, let me go off and be a martyr for the church? Or was he just <laughs> wanting to do the regular run-of-the-mill things? Not that being a priest is regular run of the mill, but sure. how do you sure. how do you go about doing those things? We're going to talk about that after your break. Uh, you're listening to Straight Talk right now on Iowa Catholic Radio.
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit and you benefit with 65% Iowa tax credits. Online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. You've heard the old saying, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. This is especially true with health insurance. If you're 65 or older, what were your true costs of health care last year? Even with a zero premium plan, you may be paying more than you think. Talk to the good folks at Catholic United Financial. Make a smart choice from a faith-directed company on a mission to give Catholics straight talk and great rates on Medicare Supplement Insurance, the backup insurance to Medicare. Get a quote from Kevin Williams at 1-800-255-9817. Has anyone ever told you to pray about it and left you thinking, okay, but how? First, invite the Holy Spirit to be with you as you talk to God. Think about what is going on in your heart and mind. Be honest. Acknowledge to God what you're thinking, feeling, and desiring, because He wants you, the real you. Then, tell Him about what you're experiencing and entrust that to Him. Finally, let the Father love us. Ask yourself, how is God loving me right now? He is loving always. Sometimes we need to stop and think of our blessings, because that is where we can find God. St. Anthony Catholic School would like to invite you to learn about our exceptional educational program of traditional schooling that includes an opportunity for a second language in Spanish immersion and where faith and prayer are a part of the daily education. Students attend in person and in school five days a week safely. We offer preschool for three-year-olds through eighth grade and on-site child care from 6.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Go to school.stanthonydsm.org to learn more. Thank you to Mercy One for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. From the cardiovascular experts of the Iowa Heart Center to the pediatric services of Mercy Children's Hospital and Clinics. Mercy provides complete care for Central Iowa's adults and children with more than 50 primary care and specialty clinics in the Des Moines area. Find a convenient Mercy One location near you. Online at mercydesmoines.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen, a global ingredient manufacturer using science to transform the quality of life for 80% of the world. Kemen is on the leading edge of molecular science, manufacturing more than 500 specialty ingredients for the human and animal health and nutrition, pet food, aquaculture, nutraceutical, food technologies, crop technologies, and textile industries. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. Need an experienced attorney for legal matters? I know a guy. Stephen C. Reed, attorney at law, is a proud supporter of Iowa Catholic Radio. Steve is a longtime resident of Iowa and is licensed to practice in all Iowa state and federal courts. He has years of experience in real estate law, wills, conservatorships, trusts, and estate planning. Steve's law office phone number is 515-224-1776. That's 515-224-1776. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Strong low pressure moving into our area today. That'll cause rain off and on along with gusty wind and our high around 45. Upper 30s overnight with rain likely and then the showers will be tapering off by tomorrow morning. Cloudy skies and our afternoon high in the mid 40s and breezy. 
Weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Wells and my guests today are second cousins to Blessed Stanley Rother, uh, a man of our times. And I think that's what is so fascinating to me. You know, those of us that saw uh, Pope John Paul II, now Saint John Paul II, may be as close with our half a million friends as we will ever get to a saint. And here are folks. Laura lives here in in Iowa City. Father Don, I don't know where you're located. Where are you at? I am at St. Eugene Parish in Oklahoma City. Ah, Eugene is close to Jean, so I'll I'll take that as another one of my home parishes. There you go. Don't don't send me tithing envelopes, though. I've got too many of those already. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, um, what kind of a priest did you know Father Stan to be? Was he a uh, warm and fuzzy guy, or was he a you know a strict conservative? You know what what kind of a priest was he to his people? Well, he was ordained in 1963. He spent five years here in Oklahoma at various parishes, uh, which was the time you know that that things were were beginning to um, come. Uh, unshackled here in Oklahoma, you know, and between about 1965 and about 1975, a third of all the priests in the state left the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And so Stan was being moved around in response to, to the chaos of the times. So he was in a variety of parishes here. Uh, and if you talk to the folks in Okarchi, you know, when he came back and he would do different retreats and different things there, and they talk really, really warmly about how approachable and how fun he was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, amongst you know, all of his cousins and the folks who were there when he was doing, you know, retreats and the kind of priestly things that he did there as a young priest. And um, uh, he uh, ended up uh, for several years, actually, uh, making use of his best skills, which was as a carpenter. The bishop sent him to build some houses, actually, on some of the lake property that we were able to uh, rent from the Corps of Engineers down in southern Oklahoma. So, Two of those five years that he was here uh, when he was first ordained, he was actually went out every day as a carpenter and uh, and built the houses that the bishop wanted him to build. So, you know, uh, he was like a lot of priests. He he gravitated to the things that he was really good at. That being one of those things. So he, so he he served for five years in Oklahoma City before he went to Guatemala. Had had he ever gone on a mission trip to Guatemala when he was in high school? I mean. He's, no, I mean, like he's older that. than I am, but, you know, even in my age, we didn't really travel out of the country for mission no, trips. No, no, nothing like how that. Did he, how o- did he get to Guatemala? Oklahoma uh, was, uh, there was a priest here in Oklahoma named Ramon Carlin, who uh, uh, really worked hard with the bishop to respond to Pope John XXIII's invitation of the churches in North America to respond to the challenges of the churches in South America because of all the vocations and, and the, the, the resources available here that, uh, that, you know, to respond to the concerns and the needs of the churches in uh, South America. So 
uh, Central and South America. So Oklahoma established a relationship with the Diocese of uh, Solola in Central Guatemala, and the Oklahoma mission ended up there in the highlands of Guatemala at a place that had not had a pastor for 100 years, Santiago Atitlan, around Lago Atitlan. uh, It would have been south and somewhat west of Guatemala City. Uh, it's a it's a stunningly beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places in all of Central America. And Ramon Carlin and a group of uh, there were a group of priests, um, uh, a, 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 an anthropologist, um, a group of Vista volunteers, a group of papal volunteers, and then some lay people who all went down as part of this giant team to uh, mm-hmm. begin. Uh, work in Santiago Atitlan. And so they were there for three years, and uh, in 1968, Father Carlin came back up to Oklahoma and went to the bishop and basically recruited Stan to come down with him, because he was the guy who was a really good mechanic, he was uh, really good with his hands, uh, he was a carpenter, he could do all these things that they needed taken care of there at the mission. Uh, they had, you know, all the all the brain power that they needed, and all the guys who were, who were, you know, dedicated at at, um, you know, putting together the projects that they had there. They just didn't have anybody to sort of take care of the place, and so that's why Stan, why Ramon wanted him there, and why Stan went down. He was his, he was excited to go. He was glad to be asked. Cool. But that's how he ended up. Is in that mission still happening today? Is it still a part of of the diocese uh, we, outreach? Well. Effort? Father, following Father Stan's murder in 1981, in 1984, uh, we sent a priest down there, Father Tom McSherry, who stayed there for 17 years until 2001. Following that, in 2001, the diocese then there had enough priests to begin to staff the mission, staff the parish in Santiago on their own. So we were there from 1963 to, 19, to 2001. So it was a uh, you know, the, the kind of success that you want, that you don't want to be in a mission place forever because you want to build the mission itself. So, so for the first 400 years of the presence of the church in Santiago Atitlan, they had no priests. Mm-hmm. Beginning in 2000, now they have had 12 priests ordained there. So uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's been and a real even success. even though the martyrdom of, of Father Stan, Blessed Stan, was horrific in and of itself that the vocations that had to have have grown from that is evidence of, of well, their it, independence it's incomparable today. and the same here in oklahoma the same here in oklahoma hmm. um beginning in the late 1980s i was on the seminary board and we started receiving guys into the seminary uh until in oklahoma city and tulsa in the early 1990s we were ordaining classes like the 1950s um, wow so in three years, we ordained more guys than we had in the previous 19 years put together. Um, so, so and, and not one of them, not for... one of them entered saying, because of this person, Father Stan, because of his example, I want to become a priest. Not one of those guys said that. But, yes. but you know, mm-hmm. yet, here we have this example of, you know, authentic, uh, altruistic um, dedication to the life of, of faith and the and the mm-hmm. you know the pastor work in Santiago, up to shedding his blood, and then you know five years later we have this not a trickle a flood of guys into the seminary. It's just really astounding. Right. We know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's they, they right. Didn't, they didn't have to put that on their application. Yeah. Well, let's go right. back to Guatemala. Those early days, Laura. What were some of the things that Father 
was doing there. Um, well, you know, it, it's like, yeah, he, he was a carpenter and, you know, I mean, was he building houses there or, or what were some of the, some of the efforts well, that he. Well, first of all, you know, it's, it, it's the sixties. And so the sixties are just as tumultuous in Guatemala as they were anywhere else. Mm. So mm-hmm. he went there in 1968 by about 1973, he was the only priest left in the mission. So they went from having five or six priests there to having just him. And so, so all the teamwork and all the things that they had put together in this extremely challenging pastoral situation where you had you know, 40% infant mortality, malnutrition, the average income of a family was less than $60 a year. Um, yeah, where do you start? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And it, it's absolutely and completely overwhelming. Plus... You know, the, the fundamental questions about when you begin the process of, of ministering to these people and nurturing the life of the faith, do you do that in the context of their Mayan heritage? They, they don't speak Spanish. They speak this, this very mm-hmm. obscure, very uh, intricate Indian language spoken only by 30,000 people in that village. So do you, do you bridge them into a wider world? and teach them Spanish, thereby making them less of you know, the, the Indians that they are? Or do mm-hmm. you focus on their unique cultural capacity and their unique language? That's a, that's a conversation that's going on all the years that the Oklahomans are there. And so, well, and you know, Father so, Don, I was, I mean, just that little bit of background as I was reading and, and, and watching the, the video that was on the diocese, the archdiocese website, you know, he started a radio station right yeah really he has hungry people right he he, he helped implement an irrigation system right again where's the hours in the day for that he built a school and a hospital and he translated the new testament into their native language well he uh, oversaw the, the translation right pardon me did, did he ever sleep <laughs> well he was how do you uh, do all he, of that well you know if, if you, you got to know the rothers in okarchi <laughs> <laughs> there are people oh, who get okay. things done. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, there's there's a couple of things about that, uh, and it, so uh, the the biggest thing that Stan did was he dedicated himself to learning the language, and so he mm-hmm. was by far the most capable at speaking their language of any of the of priests who went down there, and so um, uh, that certainly solidified his position, you know, as as pastor there in a way. That was not the case among other Oklahomans. Um, yeah, that was, that's that the was certainly the number one that thing. learned a new language. Yes, ironically, you know, he gets kicked out of the seminary because he can't learn Latin. Then he becomes the trilingual pastor of thirty thousand people. But right. you know, uh, yeah. ironies of irony. Um, mm-hmm. So the um, um, th- there's that. But you know, the for him. You know, the ministry is never simply a matter of interacting with the people on the level of, you know, their sacramental or their spiritual needs. It's also responding to the the entire gamut of needs that they have, you know, as human beings, which is where the whole thing about irrigation and about, mm-hmm. um, you know, translation and about the, you know, he, he was instrumental in developing the... Um, the um, the artists of the village, so that they could mm-hmm. they could sell their 
their their wares, you know, to the tourists all over Guatemala. I mean, he he was very instrumental in identifying and then promoting the great artists in the village there. So all as a as a part of being their pastor, you know, being uh, uh, leading them into the fullest possible experience of you know the the presence of the Spirit and the life of Christ among them, which is a lot more than say in Mass on Sunday. Right. Hey, we need to take our last break of our show today, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, what happened—the Civil War that broke out in Guatemala and um, the martyrdom of Father Stanley Roker. You're listening to Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. It can be easy to forget about the dignity of another when we disagree with their ideas or actions. We start to focus on the things that make us different, and the thoughts start to divide us. Before we reach the conclusion of those thoughts, we must pause and remind ourselves that person with a different idea or lifestyle has great dignity, The next time you find yourself ready to go toe-to-toe with someone, remember that they have dignity and deserve respect, even when we disagree. Thank you, Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte, for underwriting Catholic Women Now. As an authorized independent agent, Cindy's team can provide health insurance options from Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa. Cindy Schulte at 1315 50th Street in West Des Moines or on the web at cindyschulte.com, 515-226-2111. Cindy and her team know health insurance. Walmart Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. Products available at Farm Bureau Financial Services. We typically get sick more often as we age, right? This makes finding the right insurance plan very important. Give the good folks at Catholic United Financial a call. They're on a mission to give Catholics straight talk and great rates on Medicare supplement insurance. The backup insurance to Medicare. Hi, this is Kevin Williams, your local Catholic United Specialist, and I'm here to help you. Please call me at 224-764-2997. Get a quote from Kevin Williams at 1-800-255-9817. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 1235 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. The number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Welcome back to Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. 
Radio. This is Jean Wells, and my guests today are Laura Westermeyer, Laura Rother Westermeyer, got it in the right order, Laura, and Dr. Don Wolf. They are second cousins of Blessed Stanley Rother, and and um, the Civil War in Guatemala was devastating, and uh, the Catholic Church was really between a rock and a hard place, and it, you know, it doesn't bode well for our creed if we just, you know, pull up stakes and and run home. What what did Father Rother do during that Civil War time? Well, you know, Civil War and and its um, um and its challenges run right through the middle of the village where he was the pastor, mm. and so. Um, it was an isolated highland village uh, full of people who spoke a separate language and who had a whole separate sense of identity of themselves. So it was the kind of place where, you know, insurgency would be a, a, natural, uh, uh, a natural recruiting ground. So there certainly was a lot of communist insurgency there in the village, and they did recruit a lot in that area. And so that's all happening in the village while Stanley's pastor. So the army in 1979 come in and occupy the village and begin to um, you know, implement their counterinsurgency strategy, which includes kidnapping, torture, and murder. And uh, again, this is all happening as part of the life of the, of, of the village there. And so that always happens with all kinds of really nasty um, uh, things that people do to each other. So anybody, you know, and if if Fred stole your girlfriend when you were 19 and now you're 45, you can call the army up and they'll go arrest Fred and torture him to death. You know, um, those kinds of long festering um, resentments were were uh, enough to cause lots and lots of uh, lots of pain and suffering there. All of which, again, is a part of every community, every place, every time. It just became absolutely murderous at that time. So Stan had to try to find a way to to keep his people together, to help to navigate, um, you know, the the demands of the army, and to soften, or at best he could. Uh, make the situation there less murderous and less violent for everyone. So it was a, it was tremendously difficult, um, and and a tremendous challenge. Uh, I mean, he loved the people there, and and you know he loved his ministry there, but but you know he didn't know what to do. The U.S. didn't know what to do. Um, you know, nobody had an answer for what was supposed to happen, which made it more complicated. Also, which everyone should know. The, the bad guys who murdered Stan were the guys we supported by our government. And so, as I always tell people, Stan was killed by an American-trained soldier armed with an American gun firing an American bullet into his brain. And so um, this is a complicated situation. And, and, yes. and remember, all complicated international situations come down to individual people, you know, talking, relating to each other in individual situations. So, I mean, the superpowers might be slugging it out in the highlands of Guatemala, but it came down to individuals like Stan. And what was it, 130 people in his village murdered by the army. So, uh, so, so it was what hard. what happened the night that he was killed? Uh, at about 1 o'clock in the morning, several people broke into the rectory and went up to the priest's bedroom, which is on the second floor facing the uh, town square. When they got there, they found that the priest wasn't there. 
what they found was that the uh, there was a young Guatemalan man in bed there. It, it was the brother of the associate pastor, and uh, he had taken to staying at the uh, house there because because his brother had uh, had been the army had been looking for his brother, the associate pastor. And so he had started staying there because he didn't want to be kidnapped from um, mm-hmm. uh, from his village. And so uh, they got him out of bed and put a pistol in his face and had him show them where Father Stan was staying. Father Stan was downstairs uh, in uh, a disused bedroom he had taken to staying there. So they went downstairs. Uh, they told him to tell Father Stan that there was a bomb in the house and he should come out. And... Uh, uh, he said instead, Father, they've come for you. Mm. So Stan unlocked the door. They rushed inside. Now Stan had already said to all of us that he, because of the situation, he would never be taken. They, he, had, he had recovered bodies that had been tortured to death in, I mean, unimaginably horrible ways. So he didn't want to be taken, and, um, and he, he resolved that if they ever came for him, that they would have to kill him, which is what they did. So I have no doubt that when they came into the room, you know, Stan uh, went for the, the guys who had the gun, whatever, and after a brief struggle, they ended up shooting him three times and walked away. You know, if the town was under martial law, anybody after dark walking in the street could be shot on sight, uh, and these guys who had broken into the rectory simply walked out the front door onto the main plaza and into the dark. So, uh, well, and we've hinted at this earlier of the um, the impact of his martyrdom on the people both in Guatemala and in Oklahoma City. Share with us a little bit about about that reaction, you know, Laura? the people in Guatemala. Yeah, I think Laura should talk about that. Laura. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe not. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was a a, um, a really it was like a, a um, just a, com- a complete sense of shock when we first heard the news about Stan being killed, and mm-hmm. uh, you know they shipped his body back here to Oklahoma to be buried in Okarchi. And I remember uh, at the funeral, uh, a priest friend of mine, about fifteen years older than I, but. Um, so this happened, Stan's last trip back to Oklahoma was for my ordination in 1981. And uh, so this was a priest ordained about 15 years more than I. And uh, I remember at the end of the funeral, um, we were uh, uh, the pallbearers. We placed the uh, casket into the hearse, and, and uh, my, uh, my priest friend began to weep. Uh, it was just, you know practically unimaginable to mm-hmm. think that that you know that somebody so dedicated and, and somebody who uh, had been such an important part of the life of the of all the priests here in Oklahoma that he was you know it was all just taken away so it's mm-hmm. really um, a, a powerful powerful impact on on all of us not just the family so now, there's books and movies. I want to make sure that people know that. They can go to the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. I watched, I think it was a 21-minute, 
something like that um, documentary. Or, yeah, the ordinary the martyr. Stanley. Yeah, that's a the yeah, ordinary a, martyr, which I just mm -hmm. I that touched me again. It's 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 there are saints among us, and like you said, we don't really know that until you know long afterwards um, after right. they they may have yeah. been um, they may have died. Now, of course, he died a martyr's death. So um, how long after he, he died was he named a martyr and then a blessed? Uh, we began the process of, of the, um, uh, you know, to appeal to the Office of Saints in Rome mm -hmm. on the 25th anniversary of his martyrdom. So, um, and it was not long after that, actually, that he was declared venerable and then blessed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, declared a martyr, venerable, and then at the um, at the beatification in 2017, named blessed. Yeah, normally when you're beatified, there's a miracle, and right. is that waived because of the at, martyrdom? Or how that, does that well, work? as yeah, uh, as a martyr, then you know the the beatification can proceed following the beatification at least one miracle before canonization. Mm-hmm. And so okay. certainly there have been innumerable stories, uh, and I know some of the people personally, uh, uh, with regard to, you know, amazing, amazing uh, healings um, mm -hmm. um, with regard to, to Father Stan, um, many of them happening before the, um, before the declaration of martyrdom and before the, uh, the, the beatification, the, the, the requisite is that the miracle happen after the beatification. So that we're still looking for that, mm -hmm. the, the the verification of that one great miracle. Although I I know there are I've I have heard many stories in the last couple of years about um, about amazing things. Well, it's time to wrap up the show and and just remember, blessed Stanley Rother. He was a young man. He was just forty six when he died. And considered, as this documentary says, an ordinary martyr, an ordinary saint. I mean, he was a saint that lived during our, maybe not our literal lifetimes, but during our generational lifetime. And, and it's something, he is someone that we can pray to and look up to. So I want to thank our guests, Laura Rother Westmeyer and Father Don Wolf for joining us today. Thanks to my producer, Jimmy Olson. I'm Jean Wells. And today asking Blessed Stanley Rother to guide us on our own journey to be strong and resolute in our love of God and care for his people. Blessed Stanley Rother, pray for us. Remember Iowa Catholic Radio on this upcoming Giving Tuesday, December 1st. Iowa Catholic Radio is a listener-supported st station. And would you consider a $30? Straight Talk, where you get answers to tough issues impacting your life. Listen anywhere at any time via podcast at iowacatholicradio.com. Straight Talk, heard every Tuesday at 10 a.m. and replayed at 10 p.m. only on Iowa Catholic Radio.